who lots of listeners will know has a long string of achievements in the equestrian world a three times olympic medalist rolex grand slam winner from the early 2000s but today we're talking to pippa because he is also the author of eight, 18 children's books about tilly and her love of horses So probably there's some autobiographical connection there. It's called Pippa's Pony Tales. I want to start off, first of all, by thanking you for joining us at what I imagine is a busy time of the year because Burley's coming up, isn't it? Thank you, firstly, for having me on this podcast. Yeah, very busy time of year. My whole life seems to be pretty manic, but building up to Burley, which is one of the big events of the autumn season, I've got an old campaigner going there, a horse called Mare's Hope, who's very dear to me. Had him for many years. And then soon after Burley, we then go to Blenheim. And then I go to France with another horse. So it's all pretty active at the moment, pretty full on. We're talking about books today. and. Knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I tried to think about my own reading background and what I was reading as I was growing up. And I wasn't somebody who followed all the horse and pony stories, but I was reminded that I read a book by Marguerite Henry called Stormy, Misty's Bowl. In fact, I don't think it was the first book that she'd written, but it was the first one that was gifted to me. And I did actually read National Velvet as well, the Enid Bagnall story. I wondered whether you were reading stories or whether you were reading other things around this whole world of ponies and horses. I have to say I was one of those pony mad kids, I think probably from as long as I can remember, probably the day I could first walk I was besotted by them I loved the story Black Beauty and I did read that book when I was a child that was also on telly the series of Black Beauties and then a little bit later on probably when I was 11 12 I was hugely influenced by Lucinda Green who was at that time one of the top event riders in the world she won the prestigious badminton horse trials on six occasions but she wrote a series of books and the first one she wrote was up and away and it was a a true life story of her and her first horse and how he went from pony club to the world championships and that really influenced me and inspired me when I was younger and I was passionate about her books and I learned a lot from them. And what was very special was during my career, I obviously have come to know Lucinda very well and I would call her now a very dear friend. I was very influenced by her books, yeah, when I was younger. So it begs the question why you decided to write your own books. I imagine you've got a very full life as it is and writing 18 books is no mean feet. So there must have been something driving you to take the time to write this number of books. What was it? I admit, if someone had come to me and said, would you be interested in writing 18 books? I would have said, no way. And actually, Fiona Kennedy, who first came to me, who's been involved all the way through with the publishing of, of these stories, but she was the one that came to me initially 
And it was on the back of when I won the, the Grand Slam in 2003, I was persuaded to write an autobiography, which I did, and it was very successful. And I also was involved in some computer games. So I think I was approached by Fiona and her team to say that would I be interested in thinking about writing children's stories? And my initial reaction was there's absolutely no way I've got time. And then of course, she's planted the seed and I drive a big horse box all over Europe at the time and spend a lot of time on the roads going to big competitions. And also I spend a lot of time with the horses. Part of their fitness program is going on long rides with them. And of course, she planted the seeds and that got me thinking about, oh, if I did do children's books, I wonder what I would write about and what the story would be. And then I thought, actually, it would be a really good way to maybe educate children and pass on some of what I've learned in a fun sort of way. And that was really what triggered it. And then my imagination's probably get a bit carried away. And I got back in touch with Fiona. I said, Fiona, funnily enough, I said I wasn't going to do it. I've been thinking quite a lot and I've got this rather far-fetched story. And I told her and she went with it. And the lovely thing is actually the story evolved. So it wasn't initially 18 stories. It started with six and The more I went on, the more it went down a certain path. So it was easy once I got started. It was just getting started and getting the main characters and the main plot and those ideas in my head. It's interesting because before I came to the books, knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I thought, how can you write 18 books? What's going to be new in each one? And then I gradually realised that so many of the things that you are passionate about, they're just threaded through these stories. Let's talk a little bit, first of all, about the characters and in particular Tilly herself. Of course, I'm going to ask the obvious question, whether in any way she's modelled on you. I would probably have to say yes, but it wasn't planned. Angela, who's the main lady at Silvershoe Farm, she was, I was thinking, model herb. So part of Angela's modelled on me because the way Angela teaches is the way I would teach. And Tilly, for sure, is that pony mad kid full of dreams. And that was absolutely me. I had these wild dreams that I was going to go to these amazing competitions when I was older and yes for me the dream came true it was a lot of hard work but actually I did absolutely stick by following my dreams so that part was very much me but no Tilly she's not entirely me but there is definitely there is bits of me in her and bits of me in Angela so I'd I would say I would cover both those two characters and Silver Shoe Farm does that in some way reflect your own stud as well it's a mixture between here at home and I obviously wanted to include the World Horse Welfare factor because I'm a patron for World Horse Welfare, which is a charity I'm absolutely passionate about. We have a busy sport horse stud. My husband and I, he has show jumpers. I have event horse. Well, I actually jump as well, but we have our competition horses. So we actually don't take in rescue horses. We don't have riding school horses where people come from outside 
to ride and it's not a livery yard where people come and keep their horses. It's a proper competition yard. The way the horses are managed in Silvershoe Farm is how we would manage them. The only way I could really follow my dreams was by leaving school and going away from home and going to a yard and I served an apprenticeship, which was for nine years. And the amazing lady, and again, is a little bit of Angela, the amazing lady who I would call a very dear friend and a mentor trainer to me. Um, her yard, I based Silvershoe on that as well, because that was more a yard where different people and different children came in the holidays to train and all sorts of horses and ponies came to her yard. So it was a cross between the two yards. Uh, so the first book is Magic Spirit. And this is where you're really setting up the story for us. You're setting up the characters. Tell us a little bit about that story and what were the important things for you in the first book? I've been successful in my career, but what I would say is that I wouldn't have the greatest talent but what I've always believed in is that empathy and climbing into a horse's mind and I do feel that horses like me and I really love them and it's important that they know that and I wanted to get that across so I wanted to get across this way that Tilly even without having anything to do with horses she just has a way with them that she get can get into their heads and has this calming effect with them and they are completely relaxed with her and she just gets it and they get her so I really wanted to put that across I had this plaited horse hair bracelet that was a wonderful horse I rode and very tragically when he was at home with the owners he died from colic and we were all so upset about it but they took some of his tail and they had it braided into some lovely bracelets and at the time there was the the little friendship bracelets that people used to have at school and that gave me the idea of the friendship bracelets and because it was black and plaited it gave me the idea of sort of Native American and then I thought how do I get that into England and that's where the adoption side of it came from and then funnily enough the name Tiger Lily I have a lovely ride where I go hacking on the ride there's a garden that always has a wigwam in the garden and the place is called Tiger Lily and that's what gave me the idea of the main character each horse that she deals with we could make another friendship bracelet out of their tail hairs. She was mad about horses, ponies and had all the magazines, but how was she going to get involved with the first one? And that was when this sort of rather wild idea of magic spirit, who was had obviously been badly treated and was frightened and alarmed and running loose. And she had this calming effect on the horse. And yes, it was far-fetched, but that's how I am with the horses. Can anybody develop more of an empathetic approach with horses. I am absolutely sure everyone could. But I think why people can get nervous because people can be intimidated by their size. And I think it's like anything, isn't it? If you portray, if you're very nervous, they sense they're clever. And that's the amazing thing about animals, isn't it? It's like dogs, the same thing. If people portray they're straightaway nervous, they have this tense sort of outlook and animals can sense that. How you treat horses is how you want to be treated as a person, if that makes sense. I often use this term, if you want to have a really good friend, you've got to be a good friend. Yeah. And that's 
same with the horse. If you treat them well, they're really re- rewarding and you've got to be consistent. They've still got to understand the rules. That's important. We have to respect them. They have to respect us. But all that is done not in an aggressive way, not in a forceful way, which is actually the same with children, isn't it? You end up feeling that you're working very much together to get the very best out of each other, I'd say, not even out of the horse, because I think the horses, I would like to say, bring out the best in me, which I guess would be similar in the classroom, isn't it? What you raise here is that these books are obviously going to be read by pony mad enthusiasts, but there's a life lesson here for all of us that can be applied across many different aspects of life. In the second book, Red Admiral, we now have a racehorse. With Red Admiral, the thing, I, the point I was also making is that as much as we don't like it, horses, they're athletes, like human athletes. Horses can pick up injuries in the field. And one of the key things with Red Admiral, he had a bad injury and, and it was that sort of whole rehab situation. The injury he had, it took time and, and a lot of patience to get him back up to that top level again. And again, patience, the importance of, of the horse's well-being. And again, creating that sort of feeling the teamwork and a lot of people helping towards the ultimate goal with the horse. There's lots of tips through the book. Uh, They're not tips as such, but they're about very specific things that you do with horse care or learning how to ride. It's not a manual, but you do pick up a lot of that along the way. I do try to put tips in because I think if they're children that are reading these books that have a pony or even if they don't have a pony and they go to a riding school it's being aware for instance no matter how good or sensible or kind a horse or pony might be there are situations you have to still be aware that they're bigger than us when I say they can be dangerous what I mean by that is if you've got a young kid they're brushing up their pony and it's being really lovely but Who's to know something's not going to jump out of a hedge or something that's going to make it suddenly spook? And so you've got to always, however ever good and sensible any animal is, you've still got to be aware that something might set it off, whether that might be a fly bites it on the bottom and suddenly it kicks out at the fly. You happen to be stood in the wrong place and suddenly you're the end of a glancing blow. So that I... I try and be very clear about in the book and the same thing with the riding tips or how to groom a a horse. I try to explain that in detail, how to tack up a horse, talk about the the bridles and and the different brushes and what uses the different brushes have and how important it is to feel horses' legs. It's trying to do it in a light-hearted way but actually explain what's going on and what I've actually really loved is the people that I friends of mine whose kids have read the books they've come to to me and said I was asking my daughter gosh where do you learn that from and she said I learned it from Tilly it's a amused me but also that's what I wanted the books to do. Surprising how much we learn through fiction by stealth really because you're enjoying a story And you pick up all these things, but ultimately you're reading it for the story. Also, it's real. I know 
The characters are made up, but it's not just magic. This is actually logical and very real, and what the facts are in the book are real facts. In the third book, we meet Rosie the Perfect Pony. What's so perfect about her? She's perfect because everyone loves Rosie and she is very good. She is that pony that gives the children the confidence. And the other thing is, is in that book, it's about the sharing. Mira and Tilly end up sharing Rosie. It's not all about just one person, one pony. It's nice, it's kind to share and you get a lot of pleasure from that. She has her friends, Mira and Callie. You can have friends with very different interests. While we're talking about different people's interactions with horses, have you ever been involved with therapy and horses? I haven't personally, but I've had several people over the years from Make-A-Wish Foundation, that wonderful charity. I had a, a lovely girl that I was on her bucket list and very sadly she lost her battle from cancer, but she came to me and it was amazing and it was the horses that kept her strong throughout her battle. And she was so inspiring how she dealt with it all. But the, her way of dealing with it was very much through the horses and her love of horses. I also had a young couple who had two daughters. One was completely blind and the other was partially sighted. And it absolutely amazed me how... I say the animals because the dogs were the same, how the dogs interacted with these two little girls. And they would only have been probably eight and six. It was some time ago. And then I showed them around the yard. And I obviously know my horses very well. And there was one particular horse. It was just unbelievable. I opened the door and these two little girls went in and he came up to them and he dropped his head right down on the floor. He was just so gentle and soft with them and they were wrapping their arms around his legs. I absolutely convinced he knew. It's absolutely a known fact that horses can have a huge therapeutic, well, mentally and people impaired physically. I'm very different because I'm very lucky in what I do, but I've had just the odd time over my career when I've got very low over certain situation and the horses have absolutely helped me through it because when I'm with them it's a complete distraction. I think one of the things that's coming through um, from what you're saying is that perhaps for too long we've seen ourselves as separate from the world of animals whereas we're just part of that together with them whether it's your dogs your horse the cats so I know a lot of people adjusting their point of view on our relationship to the animal kingdom and I think so importantly and that's the thing I think I want to and I try to put across in all these books responsibility is a huge very important thing that children need to understand that if they want to have an animal whether it's be a hamster whether it be a dog whether it be a cat whether it be a horse they have got to be responsible and they've got to understand that for animals well-being is absolutely forefront and I think that responsibility teaches them a lesson too you can't just say I want it today but tomorrow I don't want it they're animals they still need feeding they still need caring they still need exercise they still need loving I want to briefly touch on the other two books that are about now, uh, Samson the Stallion. So this brings in the London International Horse Show and getting ready for that show. That's where it's had to be updated because it used to be Olympia. By this stage, in my head, 
I wanted this overriding story throughout all 18 books about Tilly finding out who she really is. But also I had decided that I was going to use a different horse for each book. Magic is the main horse throughout because that is Tilly's greatest love. But each book is, is about a different horse or pony. So we cover the various different types. So we've had magic spirit. We've had a perfect pony. And the racehorse, I'd say, is a national hunt that is a racehorse that goes over Chase Fences as opposed to a flat racehorse. And then Samson is now the show jumper. Samson is another feisty, very powerful horse until he has this amazing effect on the horse. And I've been closely involved over many years with, now it's the London International Horseship, because it was my godfather, Raymond Brooks Ward, who actually started the whole thing off. And so I always knew what behind the scenes was like behind that main arena my childhood all the way through Christmas starts at at that show and then just coming to the fifth book now we've got a young foal lucky chance who is the foal of a rescued horse so we're now covering the rescue horse because of world horse welfare I think that's another thing because they do a lot of rehoming and the charity itself do so much work not just in this country but abroad as well and obviously we've got the foal involved because again we're we're covering all different horses there's not so much detail about the foal we still have the overriding story about Tilly still learning more and magic spirit how he's still progressing in his training and where he's at I wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions the first one is about whether horse and pony stories but also equestrian sports appeal equally across the genders i've had people that their sons have really enjoyed the stories i think for sure as youngsters you get more girls to boys but what is incredible is that the questionism is absolutely it's one of the only sports if not the only sport that men and women compete against each other on equal terms with the football it's women's football team men's football team same as swimming same with the running the other thing with equestrianism it's not just a sport it's a way of life and many of us actually it is our businesses we we make a, a living from it but i would say there would be a larger percentage of men in show jumping at the top level than there are women i wouldn't know exactly with eventing but i would say it's probably 50 50 if if anything, at the European Championships a couple of weeks ago, there were probably more men than girls. So I think absolutely the sport itself and with horses is absolutely equal. And within the books, Tilly's brother, he's the equivalent to Tilly, a few years older, but that mm-hmm. pony man lad who's got his dreams, his ambitions with horses. I've got one final question. I know that many readers who read this, it will be aspirational for them. Many of them will think that they want to own a pony tomorrow. They'll be pestering their parents for Christmas ponies. Realistically, it will be beyond the means of most readers. And so I'm interested to know what other access points there are for them, because I'm sure there are ways that they can get involved without having to own their own horse. There are many ways. I'm sure it's easier for, for people that have a stable at home, a field at home, but it's not impossible to do it. My mother organised 
equestrian events but we didn't have stables at home we didn't have land at home and the first pony I ended up having was lent to me as much as I really stand by my parents because they were great supporters financially they weren't in the situation to go and buy me a pony the pony was lent to us and and actually was kept at a friend's around the corner in the back of their log shed it was out the whole time really muddy and then I was able to persuade them to turn the back of their log shed into a little stable Pony Club is a wonderful means to get into the horse pony world and you don't have to own your own pony for that. There are riding schools all over the country. I'm not saying I'm opening it up to everyone, but I've got a girl who came up to me, funnily enough, at the London International Horse Show, asked for my autograph, said she lived just around the corner from me and it was over Christmas and she was a really nice girl. And I said, oh, can you sweep the yard? And she said, well, yes, I can. And anyway, she comes now through the holidays. She's been in here pretty much every other day, but she comes at weekends. And that was just from her asking. And, and so that's her way in. And if you want it badly enough, there are ways in. So that could well be her way in. And as I said I, earlier, I served that apprenticeship. I follow the dream and I knew that I was not going to be able to do it at home. And I went and served an apprenticeship with a very special lady and I worked really hard just on the yard and eventually I started being a few rides and it went from there. The message to get across, not necessarily even with horses or ponies, but the message I want to get across is that children mustn't be afraid if they have a passion. You've only got one life, do what you feel passionate about. Yeah. I think I might know the answer to this, but once you've achieved as much as you have, you've won so many medals, you've got so many accolades what is it that keeps you going the horses absolutely the love of the horses brilliant thank you so much for taking your time out of a busy schedule to talk to me in the reading corner